Hello. Hi, Ursula. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you very well. Perfect. This is the Slow Exposure Podcast, hosted by me, Eliza Edwards, a Berlin-based writer and founder of Slow Exposure, an Instagram account that celebrates emerging talent within the sphere of sustainability. This podcast is a series of conversations with experts from all corners of the fashion industry, designers, activists, CEOs, and more. The idea started last year in London. I brought my microphone with me everywhere I went, pressing the red button when we started our conversations. This series is supported by Vestia Collective, the leading global app for pre-loved fashion. Discover a more sustainable, circular way of buying and selling a wide range of premium designer and luxury pieces from their global community by joining their movement and becoming a fashion activist today. My guest this week is someone I have admired for years, a pioneer within many corners of the fashion industry. It's difficult to find the right balance between fashion activism and resisting the temptation to shame fast fashion brands and individuals. I know I find it hard. It sometimes feels easier to lay the blame with others rather than criticize our own behavior. But when Ursula de Castro founded Fashion Revolution back in 2013, in response to the Rana Plaza disaster, she wasn't working to shame, but rather to inspire and spark an interest in creating positive change within the fashion industry. I called her back in February 2020, before we even knew what hardship the pandemic would bring. This is my conversation with her. I come from a family of artists. My original career was as a fashion designer. I had a small brand called From Somewhere, which I launched in 1997, and I worked on as designer and creative director until 2014 when we closed. From Somewhere was an upcycling brand, the very, very much the first of its kind, hugely pioneering in terms of what we reused. I think we were the first brand to reuse at scale from pre-consumer, um, so that that's what is abandoned by the industry. I also worked with um, Topshop for their first upcycled collection, which was called Topshop Reclaim to Wear, which ran between 2012 and 2015 and was a bestseller and available worldwide. Worked with Speedo, uh, reusing all of their unsold um, swimsuit in particular made with this laser material that was banned for being too advantageous for the swimmers. I worked with Robbie Di Casa, again another sportswear company, using up all of their waste. Then I also used the waste of really amazing, very, very luxurious brands from mm. the Veneto region in Italy in particular. My brand was also featured in places like, you know, Sex in the City, we sold in some of the best stores in the world, and you know, hey, this was the kind of 90s and early 2000s. I was also the co-founder and co-curator of Aesthetica at London Fashion Week, mm -hmm. which was uh, one of the pioneering platforms when it comes to sustainability and fashion. My partner, Filippo Ricci, myself, and Anna Sini from the British Fashion Council started the area in 2006, and it launched some of the you know, some very important careers from Christopher Rayburn, and we showcased Asia, we showcased People Tree, uh, and so on and so forth. So obviously my background was always in, in sustainability. I'm mm. also a lecturer, 
um, and a visiting fellow for Central St. Martins for the BA and for the MA. So I've been really dipping in and out of this conversation since, you know, for a good, for over 20 years now. Mm. Where where did you meet Carrie Summers then, your co-founder for Fashion Revolution? So basically we met at Aesthetica. She mm. was one of our exhibitors with her brand Pachacuti. And I have to say many of the people that make our Fashion Revolution core team, that's actually where we met. So, you know, in the middle of, of London Fashion Week in many ways. Mm. It's interesting, but it's also kind of ironic that you met in the middle of where it all kind of starts, why Fashion Revolution exists, really. Well, Fashion Revolution really is is a bit wider than that. I mean, you mm. know, and we take a very different view um, when it comes to the Fashion Weeks in particular. In fact, mm. I'm, I'm literally writing a blog about this right now. Um, so we really do start as a, uh, a result of the Rana Plaza disaster in, in 2013 in Bangladesh. Mm. Um, and, you know, again, I, I understand the kind of the irony of, of being, you know, talking about sustainability within London Fashion Week, but actually mm. London Fashion Week and the British Fashion Council have a huge record of supporting innovation and emerging designers. This is why the UK has provided so many brilliant designers that are now sitting at the top of some of the best fashion houses. It's because of initiatives such as New Gen. And of course, you know, the reason why sustainability is so understood in many ways in the UK, it's because of Aesthetica. So it's, it's not, I don't feel that we were sitting amongst the enemy. I feel that we were um, infiltrating the industry from within and that was very much one of the reasons why fashion revolution was so successful because every single one of us originates from the fashion industry so our remit was always that of raising awareness and making sure that brands became accountable but from a pro-fashion perspective not an anti-fashion perspective mm. That's how I come from it as well. I worked in, in PR for a long time doing PR for brands like H&M. And, you know, you have, of course, it's important to look at it from both sides. And an organisation like Extinction Rebellion is looking at it from a very different way to how Fashion Revolution is looking at it. But it really is so important that we also go at this issue with knowledge and understanding. And Yeah, I agree. And that's something that obviously you have, which which is invaluable. Well, we have solutions. Unlike, mm. you know, I mean, I don't get me wrong, huge respect for Extinction Rebellion. And I think that they have absolutely precipitated the case, which needed to happen. But they don't provide solutions. And therefore, you know, it is kind of blank protest to a certain extent. And uh, we at Fashion Revolution, and I personally believe that with disruption, you have to be constructive at mm. the same time or there is not much point you're just creating you know chaos and another interim period and generally in those periods is when you don't really find the right solutions solutions take time and dedication so our um, understanding is that we 100% believe that we are here to change the industry but not to create a massive void. Were you surprised by how quickly Fashion Revolution grew as an organisation? Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> I, I have no other answer for that, but yes, <laughs> incredibly surprised. Because I mean, I've known about it since the beginning, which says how loud your voice was, you know, it wasn't something that people found out about from the inside of being in the fashion industry. 2013 was, you know, I was still a teenager then and yeah, I mean, I ha I remember hearing about it, and it's 
it's it was it's so incredible how it's grown as well from from a cause. I mean, what happened in Bangladesh is something that still happened, not to the same extent. It is happening to the same extent. I mean, there just happened to be fewer deaths. Actually, you know, when it comes to changes on the ground, if it's not happening in Bangladesh, it's happening somewhere else. I mean, until we have full transparency and public disclosure, we can assume we are seeing still huge accidents happening in India. And, you know, but we, that's why Fashion Revolution advocates full transparency and public disclosure, because we need to know mm. to what extent this industry is actually changing. Mm. And without public disclosure, we're never going to find out. When you've spoken about fashion revolution previously, you've mentioned that um, honesty and inclusivity is a big factor for you guys. And that's definitely something that I feel with your campaigning, that it's very, you know, it's it's open for everyone, all sorts of different types of people. And I've been to some of your meetings. You really see every kind of person at these meetings, which is great. But um, within the world of sustainability, as a journalist, I often get criticised that the clothing that I write about, that the practices that I write about, that it's all very expensive and elitist. How do you approach that question? And is it something that you find yourself having to discuss on a regular basis? On a regular basis. Well, it's elitist because we choose it to be um, in the sense that there are some brilliant designers worldwide that are working sustainably. It's just a question of finding them and looking for them. This is the main problem when it comes to shopping. You know, we've been so spoiled by this oh, it's here, I'll buy it, that we have completely forgotten what it's like to look for something you care for. And, you know, so that would, you know, and there are young designers worldwide whose products, ranges and product prices vary enormously. So the, th the second thing is that what's too expensive and what's too cheap? Because frankly, nothing that is ethically and sustainably made will ever cost £3.99. Um, it's just not possible. So from what parameter are we talking about expensive? And my third reply is that the reason why these brands are so expensive is because they haven't been allowed to be found, to be seen on our high street. They don't have the same exposure. They are not treated with the same level of respect as, say, a luxury brand. Why is it okay to pay 600 quid for a luxury brand mm. that says Gucci and not okay to pay 600 quid for the equivalent made by a um, emerging uh, designer working with much better leather and much better principles? So, you know, it's a cultural change that needs to happen. But we as citizens and as customers of brands, we need to ask ourselves constantly these three questions. You know, where are they? How can I find them? How can I support them? What's too cheap and what's too expensive? Give me a balance. And, you know, how can I deliberately buy from smaller brands in order to diminish the space of the big guys and increase the visibility of the emerging sustainably and ethical brands? Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting that you mentioned that about not giving them the space um, on the high street and something that I've discovered through researching sustainable brands is the amount of amazing sustainable initiatives in Eastern Europe and those products they're made as far as I've researched in a fair way that's not hugely expensive. Where are they? But you know the, the, the main ingredient that has gone lost and this is throughout this industry and potentially throughout you know more industries is time. The fact is that people would take time to look for the perfect coat. You know, it had to be your perfect coat. You were going to wear it and you were going to wear it for a long time. It made a lot of sense to make sure that you bought 
love that packed coat. We're not doing that anymore. And it's high time that we start giving that investment. That, to me, is the real investment. It's not the money. It's the time that you decide to invest in looking for those pieces, those brands that fit your shape and fit your principles. So what do you say to those people that say that they don't have time? Uh, exactly what I've told you. You have to find it. I mean, what do you mean you don't have time? Come on, you're on a bus. Can't you research mm. uh, You know where these brands are? Uh, instead of scrolling mindlessly for hours on you know, com mm. or Netaporte or, mm. you know, whatever takes your fancy. Use that time in a different way. You know, exactly. Don't spend that long on Instagram and, you know, or spend that long on Instagram, but with a very, very definite objective that is to find the type of brands you want to support. I mean, the relationship between a customer and a brand is fundamental to the brand. And the smaller the brand, the more interesting that relationship becomes. You know, you can literally see a brand grow with you. And if you're lucky, you might be supporting somebody who will become incredibly famous in the future. Yeah. So you're also a patron. You're not just a customer. And um, and these, you know, these practices are sort of forgotten. And in fact, they're very, very deeply fulfilling and satisfying. I mean, there are, for me, a vital ingredient of any shopping experience. It's interesting that we're talking about this. You've said previously, and I know that Fashion Revolution makes a point of not demonising fast fashion brands. In the press this week, there was this big thing about the fast fashion brand in the style. They brought out a T-shirt and they were selling the T-shirt and 100% of their profits were going to the Samaritans. What are your thoughts on that? Because whilst I understand it's important to spread a positive message, I sometimes really find it hard not to speak out when in the style we don't know whether who's making the t-shirts you know how they manage to turn around and order in three days can't be good for the environment do you ever find it difficult not to call out certain brands so first of all we don't actually make a distinction between fast fashion and fast luxury so we've seen initiatives of this sort happening in all spectrum of the price range high-end or high street. So for us, it's fashion. The reason we don't speak up is because we tend to speak up about things that happen rather than brands that do things. Mm -hmm. So by the same time that we don't demonize fashion brands, we don't thank them either. You know, the brands that come on top of our fashion transparency index, we don't even say well done. We just acknowledge the work that they have been doing. So, you know, we're non-judgmental because we need to be able to say things from a very strongly educational point of view. And a lot of the naming and shaming risks looking sensationalistic and we really do not like sensationalism because you know this is a complex issue that needs a lot of understanding and needs a lot of you know consideration so when there are issues such as these you will probably I mean this one we missed I, I didn't know about this but when you know, both with the one the one pound bikini and recently when it came to brands um, donating profits to um, the Amazon. Mm. Uh, we were very vociferous about the fact that we don't believe that you know this is the right way forward. Um, we just wouldn't mention the brand. You know, uh, I have to say this is a policy that we made at the very very start of Fashion Revolution, and things are very different now. So we are revisiting this, and you know we will be potentially be a little bit more. I'm open about the uh, these types of situations, but again, very much with our unique voice, because 
you know, as, as, as I said, it's so easy to write, hey, by the way, this brand did that, when we all know that so many other brands have done similar things, equally contemptible things, you know, that are, you know, comparable. Mm-hmm. And so really, what's the point of highlighting one if you can, you know, talk about the many? So it's interesting that we're talking about this because I guess this is a slightly bigger issue and it's it's one that I'm careful to criticise. But um, the British brand had a big dinner and they invited a lot of influencers um, and, you know, everyone had to make a pledge for how they would... Um, you know, be better and um, shop better and shop more carefully and shop more consciously. And I was looking at all of this because I find it interesting. And for me, it's somehow difficult because there f- it feels like there's an inherent hypocrisy in events like this because these influences that are there, are their career is based on consumption. And I just wanted to know your thoughts here, because obviously they're preaching a good message and they have a huge following of, you know, millions of people. We will all have a different opinion around these types of things, you know, like we will all have a different opinion around uh, whether a, uh, you know, conscious collection is a greenwash or whether it is a step in the right direction. And again, this is one of the things that we do say at Fashion Revolution, develop your own opinion. We all think differently. So for some people, particularly some people in the mainstream of the fashion industry, events such as these can be eye-opening. And, you know, it can be just one person in the room that is changed, but that person might be incredibly influential and, you know, therefore that change may be really, really valid. Um, If you want to know my opinion, you just need to see the way that we operate. We don't operate that way. Mm -hmm. So obviously we have rejected this mainstream uh, way of doing things because we don't believe that we need to emulate precisely the industry that we are here to antagonize. And so we want to do things differently. So for us, when we launch something, we either have a very solid event, such as the, you know, the fashion question time at the VNA, where things are discussed profoundly by experts, and it's open to quite a lot of public, or we've just done an event called Stitch and Bitch at London Fashion, <laughs> again, ensuring that it was as open to the public as possible, and that you know we weren't rely, we didn't rely at all on on any influencers, and people came and made, and we had an incredibly interesting conversation. I'm not going to tell you that all the people in those in that room weren't already converted because they probably were, and I'm not going to tell you that we have any kind of impact because we probably didn't, but we consistently create different ways of talking about fashion and sustainability, which don't involve the lavish, which don't involve the excess. This doesn't mean that we don't have fun because we are a very creative um, or you know, organization and we have country coordinators in so many countries around uh, the world at the moment. But we do believe in doing things differently and we believe that sustainability in fashion has a very different aesthetic. So for me, on a personal level, the lavish dinner, blah, 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 is really old-fashioned and looks all wrong. So I would be inclined to agree with your feelings. But I also understand that in some cases, in many cases, um, the opposite can be true. And I think that's one of the reasons why Fashion Revolution is so successful, in that it feels very democratic, because 
one group has to be, you know, one group has to embrace all different viewpoints and of course have its own belief system. But something I've learned is that you don't always win by just criticizing, you know, and I guess fashion revolution has to be a group in which people feel like they can come forward and be part of it without being judged. Because I think there's so much judgment in this, in yeah. this world. I totally agree with you and you know so I'm the creative director at Fashion Revolution so you're really talking my language this is what I do you know I can spend a day thinking how do I communicate something which can be as effective um, you know in in Helsinki as it is in South Africa how do I communicate that both verbally and visually you know and what's my point of union and you know what's my point of tension all of these things are what we consider hugely but as I said primarily we believe that sustainability in fashion represents the avant-garde and the avant-garde is about changing the system not about doing what the system was doing before because people find comfort in recognizing it so we're not scared of doing things that look really odd or look really different um, we're really not uh, bothered with um, we, we've or, never yeah. bothered with uh, the celebrity uh, from year one I mean you know we were very deliberately from the bottom up we have of course had some amazing celebrity support and i don't deny that it's incredibly helpful but it's helpful for things like our kpis our measurements at the end of the day for our emotional and healthy growth the people that matter are the fashion revolutionaries and the fashion revolutionaries forever will be our followers mm. You know, the one thing that we need to do right now is redefine who our heroes are. And that's very important for a campaign such as Fashion Revolution, because, you know, we've made our heroes the people who make our clothes. We've made our heroes the people that so far have been invisible. We've made them the focal point of our campaign. So it would be... Um, you know, uh, hypocritical if then we sort of switched all of our, you know, everything else onto, you know, onto another another somehow uh, sector of, of society. But again, at a fashion revolution event, you're likely to find, you know, an influencer as you're likely to find a pattern cutter, as you're likely to find a student, as you're likely to find my next door neighbor. Mm. And that's how we will continue to be. So what I'm trying to say is that, of course, we're not, again, we're not anti-celebrity we're not anti anyone we rely on everyone and that means that you don't have you know that, that certain things can be done very differently if you have that remit although this was the news of the time back in february social media this year has provided a constant stream of tempting consumption but like many of us i'm making changes to be more sustainable in the way i enjoy fashion Investia Collective, the leading global app for pre-loved fashion and partner of the Slow Exposure podcast, is making it easier to do this with their Resale Resolutions campaign. Download the app to find out more about small changes which will make a big difference. And to help you on your way, if you list items to sell, you'll win a voucher to spend on second-hand pieces. Investia Collective are offering Slow Exposure listeners €25, Euros, or equivalent in local currency, of their first purchase until the end of January. Use code SLOWEXPOSURE21, all uppercase, and download the app for more details. Speaking of heroes, Luca Tomac wrote uh, a book called One Degree Rising, Stories from the Lines of Climate Change, and he spoke a little bit about climate racism. 
which is really it's really interesting in itself yeah. and I wanted to ask because uh, as you mentioned you guys have teams all over the world climate racism is that something that you find yourself talking with coordinators about is it something that is mentioned because obviously there are so many countries that have kind of been dealing with the consequences of oil coal you know fracking i wouldn't necessarily say that we talk about climate racism but we talk about racism all the time you know we are and it's incredibly easy to fall into racist thinking when you are born and bred in the west you know particularly when it comes to our relationship with developing countries and producing countries i mean you know the whole of the fashion industries kind of roadmap is a colonial roadmap um the whole way that we've interacted with the producing countries such as china India, Bangladesh, Vietnam, Cambodia, Myanmar is one of well we do it better than you so you might as well learn how we used to do it and and you know and 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 emulate the way that we've been working without making any of their local wisdoms um either useful nor um you know used in in this supply chain so it is a conversation that we have on a regular basis and we are acutely aware of this issue what i find um i'm not necessarily saying exciting but uh, what i think will be a great solution is that when we talk about people power and people power particularly in relationship in relation to clothing longevity and practices around you know keeping our clothes rather than throwing them mending our clothes rather than dumping them then we will actually probably for the first time be in a position of really recuperate local wisdoms local crafts local stories local beliefs and local cultures so i i feel that that in itself is going to be um you know a, an interesting conversation it's harder to pinpoint the climate thing uh right now but you know we are definitely beginning to have conversations and realizing above all the difference between you know the different countries and how how they are placed to to solve those problems yeah it's i mean it's the same thing of on a very small scale working um in sustainability like i do and then finding it harder to separate issues of climate and flying and things and also you know waste and recycling and you know taking your coffee cup smaller actions yeah. you know and and I don't know if you found this but you've been doing this a little bit longer than I have but I've I found that this this choice within my within my career has really filtered through to impact my whole life which is yeah. is great but it's also fashion revolution is now it's going to have to start not thinking just about fashion but also about bigger issues which which is amazing but also we have a big job on our hands. Yeah, well hopefully we we will still be talking about fashion. In fact, we've made the decision recently. I mean, you know, we talk about fashion, we don't even necessarily talk about textiles. I mean, that's like a whole different kettle of fish, you know, but we're not ready to start talking about carpet underlay, you know. It it's just too wide as a conversation but again it gives you an idea of how misinformed people are and how misinformingly information comes out the fact that people say they oh, the textile industry is responsible for blah 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 and people automatically assume textile with fashion while in fact the majority of textile has got bugger all to do with clothing mm. so you know it it's it's very 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 complex issues so we will definitely keep talking about fashion 
But yes, of course, I mean, you know, this recent urgency has affected the way that, uh, that we run the revolution. I, for one, am trying to fly less, so I now make uh, a distinction between whether I feel that my presence somewhere would really facilitate change and make it go faster, or whether I can just you know, uh, arrive somehow electronically with, with, with a phone like I'm talking to you. Mm. Um, and or, for instance, if I'm having to fly somewhere, I will ensure that there is so much work for me to do that it would have been worthwhile, uh, you know, for my time and for my carbon footprint. Um, and obviously the issue of plastic is one that is incredibly closely linked with fashion. And it's not just polyester, you know, just one word, flip flops mm. <laughs> and the amount of stuff that we throw away you know that we, we find on on beaches so the the level of pollution and contamination that all industries have um accelerated is is you know it's only right that we address as much as we can as individuals to be honest with you i genuinely feel that it's very good practice to get used to it because in my opinion some of the things that we are now doing voluntarily will have to become compulsory. And at that point, as far as I'm concerned, I'd rather be used to it. Well, that's the thing. And that is what I guess I'm writing about and what I feel has really infiltrated my life is that those those aspects are no longer voluntary. I feel like it's a duty in a way. Um, yeah. But it's it's what fashion revolution does so effectively is that that can be fun you know it doesn't have to be defeatist um which is such a big which sometimes i feel like extinction rebellion is a bit i just i you know during the extinction rebellion um demonstrations i got really bad eco anxiety yeah 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 i know my daughter is in the youth group and she's just <laughs> needs to be counseled every time mm. Yes, I, I agree with you. I mean, I wouldn't use so much the word fun, to be honest. Um, it's the same as I really hate it when people describe sustainability as sexy. I mean, sexy <laughs> is the dirtiest word in 2020. You know, after Me Too, why would you want me to be sexy? Yeah. Um, and I think it's a little bit the same with fun, in the sense, I think... Probably the word I am looking for is um, we're engaging. Yeah. Um, we can be quite riotous in the sense that, you know, a lot of the things that we suggest that people do can be quite life-changing or certainly habit-changing, um, and they can be quite challenging. But um, so I'm, I'm really sorry, again, I'm obsessed with words, but fun seems simplistic. Yeah. Um, it's way better than fun. You know, fun is a dinner party uh what fashion revolution suggests we do is like a really good drug that lasts a long time do you know what i mean it's this really good yeah. strong feeling of doing something mm. which is both rebellious but engaging but you know enticing and you're going to want to keep on doing it you know you want to keep on taking part mm. so that to me is definitely what we how we want to be seen how can the people listening to this get involved what what can they do to be part of part of this movement so well in in terms of how to reach us and how to support us um, it really couldn't be easier go on our website follow our instagram 
Um, and we need that kind of support because, you know, again, in 2020, that campaigns such as ours are primarily digital. Um, but we actually make an effort to do loads of events as well. So, again, from our website, you'll find out what's happening across the globe that's near to you. Um, in terms of personal activation, um, it's all the things that we suggest, you know, the hashtag, the selfie, ask your brands who made my clothes, you know, all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, the most um, important thing that needs to be done in order to make things better is really to go slower and, and you know, going back to what I was saying before, put time into this because... One, we cannot take information the same way that we take cheap clothing, which is, okay, it's there, therefore I believe it, or it's there, therefore I buy it. You know, we need to engage with things. And when it comes to clothing, we need to engage emotionally with the things that we buy, because that's the only way that we're going to keep. And I will never tire of saying this, that the only antidote to a throwaway society is to keep. It's not to donate better, it's, it's to keep. And to keep means that you buy what you want, what you need or what you love in a way that is different than just buying because you've got an itch in your hand or a fiber in your pocket. And that would make such a massive difference because just imagine a 16-year-old girl who buys a skirt from Pretty Little Things or Boohoo. And when that skirt breaks, she mends it or she finds somebody that will mend it. Then she puts it online and goes to Woohoo. I love this skirt. I don't want another one. Mm. I want you to make one that's better made because I want it to be mine. Mm. <laughs> and that is a profound message and that's what we need to do. Mm. Thank you so much for your time. It's been really interesting to hear your thoughts and thank you so much for, for what you do. I think it's Fashion Revolution is is really changing people's lives and it was a great decision, Dawn, that you made in 2013. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much. And again, you know, something I say quite often, fashion revolution doesn't exist without people such as yourself supporting it. So I have to thank you just as much <laughs> as you're thanking me. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Ursula. Her book, Loved Clothes Last, How the Joy of Rewearing and Repairing Your Clothes Can Be a Revolutionary Act, is available for pre-order now, published by Penguin Books Limited. It hits shelves on the 11th of February 2021. The pre-order link will be in the show notes, along with links to Fashion Revolution. You can find Ursula on Instagram at Ursula de Castro, and as ever, I am at The Slow Exposure. Remember to tap subscribe, tell your friends, and I always want to hear your thoughts. Thank you to Viv Lavave for the music. I'll see you next time.